for those of you who may not have, have, have been keeping up or noticing, um, Brian is still not here. Um, Brian is gone. Um, his wife, Mandy, took him on a wonderful trip to Germany and all throughout Europe for his 40th birthday. And so he is still gone. We still have, we have Mandy, though. Mandy's back, which, that's right, which is a trade I'll take any day. I'll trade. I'll trade O'Brien for a Mandy any day. Um, but Brian, hope you're still having a good time. I've been able to talk with him a little bit, and it just sounds like he's having um, the time of his life. So hope you're still enjoying it. We can't wait for you to come back, brother. Um, but because of that, we are going to be continuing um, in this mini-series on parables, on the sort of short, simple stories that Jesus tells that actually have big implications. And so last week, we discussed how, um, really in the Jewish culture, they just, they loved telling stories. It was just a big way that they shared information. It was a big way that they were entertained. It was basically how they heard the whole story of Yahweh and the prophets and everything were through these stories. And so Jesus is going to enter the picture and continue to tell these stories, One, because they're a great way to communicate, but also the prophet Isaiah prophesied that parables would be spoken by the Messiah, so that some would hear and some wouldn't. And um, these parables, as we also talked about, are not simply just little stories to help us get an ethical lesson. They're not just stories on, oh, you shouldn't lie, you shouldn't steal. Um, They're actually more intense than that. If you remember this quote from last week, N.T. Wright said this, parables are not earthly stories with heavenly meaning. Rather, they are expressions of Jesus' shocking announcement that God's kingdom was arriving on earth as it is in heaven. And so when we look at parables, we can tend to immediately go to, okay, how does this apply to me? What does this have to do with me? And that's a very big part of it. That's an important part, but it's not the main part. The main part is, what does this have to do with Jesus? What does this say about him? What does this say about this kingdom he's bringing? And then lastly, but still important, is How do I fit into that? How do I fit into that? But first off, it's primarily about Jesus. We talked about the parable of the hidden treasure, this guy who sells everything to get Jesus. And before we start looking at us, we start by saying, okay, well, this parable is telling us this. The kingdom of heaven and Jesus is a treasure. It is better than anything else we could ever imagine. It surpasses everything as the Apostle Paul said it, everything else is considered rubbish. Not that our things aren't important, not that they're not valued, but nothing is as good or as amazing as Jesus. Jesus didn't come to take away your rights. He didn't come to take away your joy. He didn't come to take away your pleasures. He came to be better than all of them. He came to surpass them. He came to be amazing. And then from that, then we apply it to us and we say, okay, how should I be operating if Jesus is the treasure of my life? In that same way, we're going to go into a parable this morning, another one of my favorite parables. It's the parable of the unforgiving servant. And so if you have your Bibles, you can open up to Matthew chapter 18, but it will also be on the screen. Um, I'm going to read the parable in its entirety, and then we're going to kind of discuss it as we go. So it's Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 through 35. It says this, Then Peter came up and said to him, Jesus, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had in payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of the servant released him and forgave him the debt. But, what, but when that same servant went out, he found out one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. 
But he refused and went out and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what he had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me, and, you should, not, and should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. So it's a bit of a longer parable. It's, it's, it's a bit of a longer, but there is so much good nuggets in this. There's so much wisdom. There's so much God. There's so much Jesus in just this parable. And quickly, before we jump right into it, before we start discussing it, I'm going to give you some quick context of the passage just before this, because I think it's going to help us a little bit. So the passage just before this is titled, um, If Your Brother Sins Against You. And so in this passage, we sort of learn some attributes about church discipline. In this passage just before, we say, Jesus says, if your brother sins against you, your sister sins against you, go to them and reconcile. If you do, fantastic, you're done, good. If you don't, get two or three more people. Come together, continue to talk about it. Say what happened. If it still doesn't work out, get the whole church involved. And if they're still rebelling, they're still being outlaws, they're still not, not confessing or, or, or reconciling, whatever it is, then you actually have permission to sort of expel them from the church, from, this, from their congregation to say, hey, you're not healthy for this church, you're not healthy. And that's where this popular verse comes in, where we're two or more gathered, I, Jesus, am there. Which, we usually apply it to prayer, which I do think there's an emphasis on more people praying is probably more powerful, but I also think Jesus is there when one person is praying, um, call me crazy. Um, but so it's more like Jesus is saying, if you've operated on these steps, if you work hard, if you involve me and involve all these people, I'm going to divinely bless you and permit you to basically do this thing. And the reason I start by telling you that passage is because our passage this morning starts with, then Peter came up and said to him, this passage beforehand is prompting Peter to ask this question. Okay, so this brother sinned against me. So then Peter's like, okay, so if that process happens, how many times should this happen, and I should keep forgiving? And Peter suggests seven times, seven times, which is a very cheeky question by Peter, because in Jewish culture, you should forgive people three times. So Peter's kind of trying to get a little bit of extra credit, like, yeah, yeah, how, like, I should do it, I should do it at least seven times, right? Like, come on, seven times? And Jesus is like, so close, but not at all. He says, you should do it 77 times, which some, uh, some um, translations don't say 77 times. They say 70 times seven, um, which the Greek is just a little bit ambiguous there. But the point remains the same. Jesus is not picking an objective hardline number. Peter is coming still with a hardline number. Okay, keep count. I've forgiven that person five times. Two more, and then you're done. Jesus is giving hyperbolic language to say, there is never not a time you shouldn't forgive. You should always forgive permanently always forgive. And then with this idea, he jumps right into the parable. We have a king who needs to settle his accounts. His servant can't pay, so he threatens to sell him and his family. He takes pity on him. Then he ends up forgiving the debt, but then that same servant finds another servant, won't forgive that guy's debt, chokes him, resorts to physical violence. King hears about this and throws him in jail. Now, I would like for us to start by taking our principles we thought about last week, which was, let's focus, let's find Jesus first. Let's find Jesus, let's find the kingdom of heaven, let's see what this parable is saying about Jesus. And it says the kingdom of heaven is compared to the king. It's like a king. So Jesus, God, heavenly, the heaven, kingdom of heaven is the king in this story. 
And I think if you read this story quick, you can kind of really gloss over the king, and he can come across as either cold or at best maybe neutral. You have a king who needs to settle his debt, which maybe is neutral language. He's owed a lot of money to the point where he's willing to sell people. You're like, hey, this king's not really that cool. And then he takes pity on them, and that's cool, but if you're like me, I don't like the word pity. To me, I always think of like a villain in a movie who's like, yes, yes. I take pity on you. Kiss my foot. You are good. But if you mess up again, like, pity to me isn't necessarily a positive word, always. And then he does forgive it, so the king does a nice thing. But then he hears about all the wrongdoing later and then throws him in jail because he's super angry. Like, the king does not necessarily come off warm or amazing in this story. I think at first glance. But I would argue that the king does something absolutely incredible here. And if we see it from his perspective, it might change things a little bit. You guys, if you guys have heard me before, you know I like to change titles because the titles in the Bible are not God-inspired. It's, we're putting those titles in there. Um, and so this one's titled The Unforgiving Servant. I think it should be titled The Forgiving King, personally. Um, and so let's start with, first, the king starts off by doing nothing wrong. He has debt from his servants, and he's asking for it. That's what you're allowed to do. You're the king. Then the selling the family and stuff seems pretty intense, but that's also completely customary at the time. To us, it might seem really dramatic and intense, which there's still a lot there, but to them, that's totally normal. That's what you do. That's what the king does. Here, if you commit a crime, you go to jail. This is kind of a similar stuff. But the key starts off with how much this servant owes. It says he's owed 10,000 talents. Now, a talent, by all scholars, will suggest one talent is about 20 years salary. So in your head... Picture what you make in 20 years. Your salary multiplied by 20. I encourage you, do it, try it. Some of us it's easier. <laughs> Some of us it's harder. That's not a math comment, that's a what you make comment. <laughs> We're all great at math. Then take that number and multiply it by 10,000. And that's how much this guy owed. Now, what you make in a year is obviously subjective, it changes, but most scholars will suggest that this servant owed the king somewhere between Six to ten billion dollars. Six to ten billion dollars. That's how much this servant owed the king. And but the king takes pity on him. And this word pity is, if you like the word, that's great. Keep that word. The word in the Greek is a little bit more dense than that. It's a little more deep than that. The word really means the inward parts of the king were moved. The king is filled with compassion that it's moving his gut. He, he's sitting there and he's being compelled. He's being driven to go okay, you're right, that's hard. I'm gonna forgive you. This king is not moved out of coldness. The king isn't moved out of obligation. The king is moved from compassion. The king is going, I adore you. Okay, you're right. I don't wanna see you suffer. I love you. I desperately love you, and I want to take care of you, and so I'm gonna forgive all of your debt. $10 billion gone, just like that. That is what this king is doing. And then the servant is owed 100 denarii, which most scholars suggest is around $1,000. And this servant is like, no, 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 I'm owed that. I deserve that $1,000. I'm not going to forgive you. And the king hears that. And I think that context makes it a little more understandable why the king is so angry. He just forgave 6 to $10 billion. And we're not talking like Elon Musk, Jeff Bezos, or Bill Gates, any of those people. We're talking like regular people normal people who make normal wages to pay it back $10 billion. And the king goes, 
I just forgave you. How are you not going to do the same thing? That's $1,000. How do you even compare those? And even though this parable is about finances here, it's about wages and working with authority and all that, I mean, really, we can all understand there's a spiritual underlining there that we have a spiritual debt that God is taking away from us. Whether we know it or not, we all have a spiritual debt. Psalm 14, and then said again in Romans 3, says, no one is righteous, no one is good, no, not anyone. Romans 3 continues to say that we all sin and we all fall short of the glory of God. It continues to say, well, because of that, there is a debt. There is something that needs to be paid. The wages of sin is death. Jesus here is using this parable as hyperbolic language again to say, there is an insurmountable debt that we owe. There is this enormous unapproachable debt like many of us maybe feel with our school debts that we cannot overcome and the king here goes but that's okay that's okay because I love you because I adore you it's all gone it's all gone God has been taking care Yahweh has been taking care of his people been taking away their debt he's been helping people spiritually and Jesus is telling his disciples he's foretold his death several times to this point he's telling his disciples hey I'm about to go do this for you I'm about to go take away everything from you I'm going to take away all your debt I'm going to put it on me I do it because I love you I do it because I care about you the king is a hero the king is a legend the king is God the king is incredible in this story And then we find out that this is also what the kingdom of heaven is like. The kingdom of heaven is full of forgiveness. The kingdom of heaven is full of people who forgive and are forgiven. Now, Jesus could have easily told a parable here that's like, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle his debts, so he did. He asked for the money, and he demanded it, and he got it, because that's what he's owed. And the servants who paid off their debt, that's great, shake hands, walk away. And the ones who can't work hard or get thrown in prison... That's the kingdom of heaven. He could have said that, and that would have been totally fair. That's honest. That's true. That's, that's what was going on at the time. There's nothing wrong about that. But this parable is very clear. The kingdom of heaven is not fair. It is completely and unfathomably unfair. Unfair 100% to our benefit. To our benefit, the kingdom of heaven does not operate the way that our societies operate. The kingdom of heaven does not operate the way that our culture operates. The kingdom of heaven changes it, changes the value. Jesus is saying, this is not the way the world works. The, the world wants to tell you you have to pay back everything. And I'm telling you, because of your father, you owe nothing. You are forgiven. You are redeemed. I love you regardless, and I'll never stop loving you. The kingdom of heaven is full of forgiveness, and it is completely and utterly unfair. This passage tells us so much about God and so much about how much he cares about forgiveness because we have two sides of forgiveness here, right? We have he forgave all his debt. That's incredible. That's amazing. Glorify God. Praise God. And then we have, and if you don't participate in that forgiveness, you might get thrown back into jail. So if you don't do the same thing I'm doing, you could be in trouble. There's a warning here, right? And I was wondering as I was looking through this, why does God care so much about forgiveness? Why does he care so much because again, these parables are not just, hey, this guy went to the store and he stole and he got in trouble, so don't steal, that's bad. This is him telling us how the kingdom of heaven operates, what it means to be part of his family. And so I think forgiveness is a big deal to God for three reasons. The first reason is that forgiveness is for God. The second reason, it's for us. And the third reason is that it's for others. And so, one, 
Forgiveness is for God. I think a point of this parable is to say, how you saw that I had mercy on you, why do you not have mercy on others? Forgiveness shows God that you recognize what he's done for you. It's a sign to him, it's a praise to him, it's a glory to him to say, God, I saw what you did for me. I saw what you did, I'm gonna do that to others. We have this God, this Jesus filter that we say, okay, this person's treating me horribly, this brother, this sister, they're sitting there treating me horribly. What should I do, what should I do? Okay, remember, go through that filter. Remember, God forgave me, he loves me, he was patient with me. Okay, okay, because of what you did, God, I'm gonna forgive them too. It shows God what he's done. It recognizes what he's done. To not show forgiveness to others is to say, God, I don't really care. I don't don't really care what you did. It didn't affect me that much. I don't care that much. God cares a lot about forgiveness. Secondly, it's for us. Um, It says at the end of it, we're not just forgiving, we're forgiving from our heart, from the genuineness of our heart. And I don't know if anyone here has ever genuinely, genuinely forgiven someone, right? We're not called to just say, yep, you're fine, whatever, move on, and you get hold on to this hatred, right? Genuine forgiveness offers lightness to our heart, offers lightness to our soul, it offers levity. It pushes away the animosity, it pushes away the enmity, it pushes away the anger, it pushes away the sadness, and it fills it with more what God has for us, patience and kindness. Again, that Jesus filter. It's me going, God, I have harmed you so many times. God, even though I'm saved, I have sinned against you so many times. I have done things that I am not proud of, and yet you still offer me forgiveness. Okay, this person did something bad to me, but it's not the same thing that I did to you. I did way worse, and you still forgave me. I can forgive that. I can forgive that person. I can forgive that person. It offers lightness with you. It offers lightness in your soul. The third reason, I think, is for others, and I think this one's really, really important, Um, and before I talk about that, I need to give a broader context about this chapter as a whole, Um, because I love context. Um, So chapter 18, you're going to find a theme. You're going to find a very obvious theme in chapter 18 if you read it, and it is this. Jesus desperately, and I mean that lovingly, desperately, cares for those who don't know him. Desperately, unfathomably, unquenchably desires that everyone should come to him, that no one should be apart from him. Chapter 18 starts with the disciples saying, oh, well, Jesus, who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Is it me, right? We should give people seven times. And Jesus is like, no, the greatest in the kingdom of heaven are these little ones who come to me empty, who come to me ready to learn, who come to me as toddlers. You have to be like this. And then he says, and if any of you causes one of these little ones to sin, it'd be better that a millstone was tied around your neck and you were thrown into the sea. (laughs) Okay, (laughs) cool. Jesus is saying, do not take anyone away from me. I don't want anyone to be apart from me. This is the best place you can be is right here with me at my feet. Don't lead anyone astray. That's, that's important to Jesus. He wants everyone to come back to him. He steps into the next section, temptation to sin. Woe, woe be it to sin. Watch out for sin. Watch out, watch out, watch out. And we could easily read that and think he's being like, hey, slap on the wrist. Don't sin, don't mess up. But it should be read more as like an affectionate father or mother being like, I don't want you to be hurt. I don't want you to be away from me. Watch out for sin. Stay with me. I don't want any of you to leave me. Stay with me. Stay, stay, stay. Don't want anyone to be apart from me. He goes from that to the parable of the lost sheep. And we all probably know that parable pretty well. How many, how many shepherds would go out and get the one lost sheep? And that's, that's the where they rejoice. That's where they're happy. When they go and get the lost one. I love the lost ones. Jesus, I mean, he has this funny aside where he's like, you 99 are cool too. Like, you guys are fine. Like, you guys are great, but like, I already got you. Like, I'm happy, I already got you. Like, I want the one I don't have too. 
I love this. And he ends that parable by saying, so it is not the will of my father, not the will of my father who is in heaven that any of these little ones should perish. He doesn't want anyone to perish. He wants them to draw them in. He goes from that into the church discipline passage we already talked about. Hey, if someone sins against you, don't just kick them out. Talk with them. Run through these steps. He gives four steps to try and keep people together, unified with him. And then if people are just continuing to being rebellious and outlawish and, and, and toxic to the relationship, then they could be harming more relationships than they're helping. Then it's okay. Then it's okay. But it's so clear here, Jesus cares so much in this section about the people who aren't with him. And so forgiveness is important because it's for others. It is an opportunity for us to show people a taste of God's forgiveness. It allows us to say, hey, you don't deserve forgiveness, but I don't deserve forgiveness either, and God gave it to me. So even though you don't deserve it, I'm gonna give it to you anyway. You don't deserve forgiveness, but I'm gonna show you the same love and patience and kindness that God showed me. So I'm gonna give it to you. Because God doesn't want us to push out people. God doesn't want us to push out. He's not, he's not looking at me like, hey, you did really good and they did terrible knuckles. No, he's like, you're doing good, so go get them. So go get them. People will be shocked if you forgive them, kind of out of nowhere. Forgive them before they apologize. Genuinely, from your heart, forgiveness. It honors God. It makes God happy. We go, I love you, God. You have given me so much. You've forgiven me $10 billion worth of sins. It's more than that. It's hyperbolic. It's trillions. It's what's the next one? Gazillions. And he's saying, I want you to go do that with others too. It honors me, it helps you, and it brings other people into the fold. Forgiveness is important. It's a huge deal. This isn't something that you should just do because it's good for you because it helps you like not stealing. This is a deep, deep value system of what the, heaven, the kingdom of heaven looks like. Jesus cares so much about forgiveness. And it's right here where I want to take a quick aside because I want to make sure that nothing I said is misunderstood. What I don't want any of this to suggest is that if you are currently in an unhealthy or toxic place, that means you should stay. It's not what this text is saying. That's not what I'm saying. That's not what Jesus is saying. In fact, we have the passage beforehand as an example of church discipline where you go, hey, if someone's being too bad, if you're in too bad of a thing, it's okay to distance yourself. In the church discipline text right before, we have Uh, I believe it's implicit that the person who's harming in that story is forgiven. Because right after that story, Peter's like, well, then who else should we forgive? And so in this story, forgiveness and expulsion, expelling, are not mutually exclusive. Just because you forgive someone does not mean you have to keep participating with them. Does not mean you have to keep continuing to be in an abusive situation. Now, I also want to be clear, I believe if you currently are in a situation like that, you, sh- you should get out as best you can, right? Talk to people, get healthy, get, get out. But also, if you are in it, I do believe you are called to forgive. I do believe radical forgiveness is what's being asked here. But again, I don't believe it means you have to stay. So if you're currently in a bad situation, just don't read the text and be like, okay, I guess I'm just supposed to sit in it and keep forgiving. If you choose to stay, then yes, I do believe you should keep forgiving. But I believe you can forgive and also step back. Hey, I forgive you. You wronged me and that's, okay. that's not Okay but I forgive you, I'm not mad at you anymore. But no, I don't, I don't wanna hang out Thursday night. No, I'm, I'm not gonna help you move. No, I'm not gonna do this, I'm not gonna do that. Hey, boss, manager, can I, can I change something? Can I change offices? Can, whatever, it, whatever it is, you don't need to stay in that relationship. But I do believe we are called to forgive. Forgiveness is a big deal in the kingdom of heaven. It's a big deal to God. And really, it's a win-win situation. We get to honor God, we get to feel better, 
feel lighter in our souls, and we get to draw other people closer into Christ with this Jesus filter. Every time something harms us, every time something bad happens to us, we say, okay. God, you've done so much more for me. You've done so much more for me. I'm gonna forgive. These parables are not just about us primarily. They're primarily about the character of Jesus, the character of God, the kingdom of heaven, this value system. What, how does the world operate? And the world wants to say you have to operate in a fair way. And Jesus is saying very clearly here, yep, but the kingdom of heaven isn't fair. It's not fair. And it's not fair completely for your benefit. And so I don't know who it is, but maybe sometime this week, sometime today, give some thought on someone that maybe you feel like you've been holding some animosity and enmity in your heart. You feel like you need to forgive. <laughs> These are some of my favorite times as a pastor is when I get to study for something and I get convicted. And I had, a, I had two people in my heart that I'm like, I don't think I've genuinely forgiven them from my heart. And forgiveness, again, is not, I don't believe it's a sign of weakness. It's not a sign of just letting them get away. No, one, no one's getting away with anything here. Justice and forgiveness can work coincide together. But who is it in your life that maybe you need to forgive? Who is it in your life maybe you need to forgive? Also, I meant to say this at the beginning, and I forgot, and I also forgot to say it last week, so I'm gonna say it now because it also kind of ties in. Um, if you are in maybe a bad situation or maybe you are have some tough things going on in life, and if you are someone who regularly reaches out to Brian, and maybe you can't because he's not here, um, please reach out to me. Please reach out to me. Please reach out to one of our elders. Reach out to Grant. Reach out to Jim. Um, just, I know I'm not the same as Brian, but I would love to talk with you. I'd love to hang out with you. Um, you can talk to me after service, or you can get my phone number. We can text. We can call, or you can email me, whatever it is. But um, So if you ever need any help or just chatting with anything, please do not hesitate to reach out. Um, but this forgiveness thing is a big deal to God. It's a big deal to God. Um, will you guys please pray with me as we go back into worship? Hey, Heavenly Father, God, we don't want a day to go by where we don't remember how much you've done for us. That when we feel like we've been sinned against, we feel like we've been harmed, we feel like someone's attacking us, we feel like spiritually they owe us thousands of dollars, millions of dollars, whatever that is, God, that we remember that you forgave us billions, you forgave us trillions. And may we take that with us, make, that, make our souls lighter, may it make our heart compassionate, patient, and kind, and allow us to forgive others. Forgive others because it honors you. Forgive others because it helps us. And forgive others because it draws them closer to you. As your representatives, God, we want to be you. We want to be your hands and your feet, God. We are so thankful for the work that you've done. We're so thankful that you sent your son to die on the cross for our sins, to cover everything, a multitude of our sins, everything that we could possibly have done in the past, present, and future, God. You have taken care of it by dying on that cross. God, we want to praise you in the place and thank you for everything you've done for us. And may we continue to funnel that into our relationships as well. In your heavenly name, amen.